Fundraising everywhere. 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 Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. It's great to have you here. This summer, we're taking a look at some of your favourite Fundraising Everywhere sessions from our on-demand library, available to you on the Fundraising Everywhere podcast for free. We'll be taking a look at TikTok, behavioural science, fundraising strategy, legacies and more. If you missed a previous Best of session, head to wherever you listen to your podcast to find a previous episode. And if you want to see what else we've got coming up at Fundraising Everywhere, head to our website. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another Fundraising Everywhere podcast. It's me again. Uh, It's Nikki Bell, one of the co-founders of Fundraising Everywhere. And I am here with the fantastic Andy King, who really doesn't need any introduction, um, but I'm going to ask him to introduce himself anyway. Hi, Andy. Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much. I call myself a sector loudmouth most of the time these days, and that kind of covers it's most fair. of the intro, okay, I think. Yeah. <laughs> loudmouth about what and where? Where do you loudmouth? Yeah, true. I Wherever will platform me. Uh, podcasts these days, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I loudmouth about storytelling more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk a lot about shaping your charity stories and telling them to people who can change the ending. Mm-hmm. Um and I do that uh, with corporate partnership people, with fundraising leaders, hence why we're here, and with fundraisers about the stories that they tell themselves as well. Uh, and it's a lot of it's on LinkedIn and the general internet. I'm more of a LinkedIn profile than a human being these days. So, yeah, we move. And you are, I will mention this in any introduction and any time that I'm in a conversation with you, but also 2022, number one. Are we still using that? Oh, yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if a magazine's going to print it about me, I'm going to die on it until I die. Yeah, for sure. And then they're not doing another one. So that's you cemented now as number one for the rest of of days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have to work out at which point I go from saying it happened in 2022 to saying it happened once. Mm, Okay. And for now, I'm still dating it. Yeah, it was recent. Yeah, it, it feels quite recent. Well, well done to you. It feels like. I mean, you know, you've always been meant and I've always loved uh, getting to know you, but especially in the last few years, it, I've definitely noticed a flourish with you. Really, like, flourish is the right word. Like I've just seen you like totally come into your own and find your place with it. But the confidence and the energy that comes with that, I can only imagine, having not experienced it directly myself, what that must be like to work with you. So it's been really nice to to see. And yeah. it's lovely hearing all the mint stuff that's been happening for you because it's it's totally, totally the the right person for it to happen to. So yeah, thanks, Nikki. I think you've been a big part of that as well, which has been awesome. So thank you. Thank thank you. Hmm. <laughs> thank you. Nice. Um, on the storytelling part, we <laughs> never uh, we didn't we didn't talk about this, but it did pop into my mind. It's important to mention as well, and I've picked this up from conversations with you that you're always big on the ethical part, and you've been doing a lot with organisations mm. to help them to understand what storytelling really is and who can they pass that platform on to, and what kind of work yeah. do you, are you doing in in that area at, at, at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. And the ethical point is really important because 
it is the main thing that fundraisers in particular have as an asset is stories but it's important to think about whose asset it is and, and how mm. it works i think one of the the framings i've been using quite a lot recently is that good fundraising ultimately makes us feel like we belong somewhere mm. and bad fundraising makes us feel like we don't belong and so it's really important that if you're going to use someone's story that you think about how they would feel if they were in the room like yeah. if they were to read it it's the kind of like be nice about people behind their backs type piece and there's loads of argument for it ethically in terms of like it's just nice to be nice to people but there's also loads of argument for it efficiently in terms of if you look at how individual giving packs perform of like a helpless child after a hurricane versus a child trying to rebuild their own home. We crave to help people with agency. Like that's what we want to do. And so a lot of what the work is, is like think about how your service users would feel. How do you bring them into your fundraising? How do you bring them into your strategy? And how do you make it their story that they are telling rather than one that you're summarizing for them? Yeah. So, and, and, and that for me, when I started in the sector, like what, 13 years ago, it wasn't a conversation that I was aware was happening. It might have been happening. And, and I'm sure it, it definitely was, especially with the, the people in the in the in the communities who were directly affected um, or impacted. But it is definitely something that I've seen or heard be platformed even more so more recently. And it comes along with a bigger tidal wave of change that we have to see in the sector um, and the conversation mm -hmm. that me and you wanted to have today was around leaders and leaders in the sector because you obviously deal um directly with them in the work that you do we deal with them here at fundraising everywhere because we're often using our content and our platform to, to train their teams what for you in your conversations with leaders at the moment is um happening around that like idea of, of change and the rapidness of it and the many priorities are there and, and how they are prioritizing those priorities. How are those conversations and the the work happening uh, in, in these charities at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. And there's something in what you just said of like, how are they prioritizing their priorities? That question across the sector, how do I do that? Like, I'm a big language nerd. Priority as a word exists to be singular. Mm -hmm. Priority implies one. Yeah. And so many fundraising leaders, leaders in the charity sector are expected to juggle so many balls, spin so many plates. And I think because of the type of people that work in the sector, we're so aware that like there's no such thing as like the job is finished there is always more to do there's always more conversations to have there's always another draft that that trust application could go through mm. and so trying to define for yourself as a leader and to define for your team what good enough looks like is a real question distinguishing between what you could do what you should do and what you must do but the core problem that I'm seeing quite a bit at the moment is there's so much to do that people are just in automatic go mode. Yeah. And I think that that exact phrasing of automatic go mode really defines a lot of fundraising leadership positions because you almost feel like you don't have that time to catch your breath. You just need to go, 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 deliver, 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 lead, lead, lead. And 
one of the things that was so nice about the leadership festival which is where this conversation started is it was time to be like um we're going to breathe out for about three hours and just think about what it is <laughs> metaphorically but, yes indeed we're going to breathe out for three hours that would be pretty impressive even for <laughs> an advanced yogi uh but yeah i think the weight of priorities and also the expectations of the people above fundraising leaders really needing to be managed of the the, the trustee who's like well how long can it take to build a corporate partnership four days and it's like ah oh, no <laughs> and like finding that is so much of what what we're in right now yeah it's and I, I totally I feel for everyone in the sector you know it's such a hard time at the moment things are rapidly changing the ways that we communicate with people and the ways that we work are just changing at a speed that it would be even impossible to keep up with, even if you knew what you were doing. And it's not to say that they don't, but it's just, there's so much to be done. It's kind of almost like, we know what to do, but like, what do we do first? So having been in that position before, you know, I, I was a fundraiser. I have led a team before, um, you know, I've been on the front line, you know, asking for donations from, from supporters. And that was called what, like six years ago or something. But now Craig, like to think of going back to that, you know, it's, it, yeah, it seems it's really overwhelming. And these decisions could change like the next like two, three years of your organization. So people need to know how to get it, how to get it right. What traits um, or, or actions are you seeing some of the best leaders doing at the moment that people could learn from? Oh, it's a great question. And I was looking at this literally last week as to like what what values, what characteristics do I think the best fundraising leaders have? So I actually weirdly have this prepared. The three things that I think the leaders who are really smashing it have is they're humble, mm. they're curious, and they're kind. Mm. And those three traits define the leaders who are able to see the wood for the trees, see the people in their team, and see both the short-term need for cash and the long-term value that their team are working on. I think there's the, the humility of like leaving your ego at the door, knowing that to an extent everyone is making it up and everyone is doing their best. The curiosity that drives them to seek what evidence there is, that they look into the benchmarks, that they attend the conferences, they read the research that's coming out. Fundraising is increasingly a science. There is increasingly evidence bases to go off of. And the more you seek that out, the the more informed you can be. And then the kindness, like that's just so much of fundraising leadership is being kind. And I don't necessarily mean just being nice. There was a really nice soundbite in one of the sessions at the Leadership Festival um, that clarity is kindness. And sometimes the kindest thing you can do is tell someone the bad news just as mm. soon as the bad mm. news is available. And it's, so it's not about being like a nice person. It's about being what's long-term best for that person and how you deliver it. But yeah, I would say if you're looking as a leader and you're looking to kind of put your actions or your habits through a lens, think about how would I do this without my ego? What evidence is available to me? What is the long-term kindest thing? And it's a pretty good lens to put your decisions through. Mm. Do we have an ego problem in the sector? God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
no offense, but we're two probably worst egos. And no I'm joking, we're, we're both all right. But like, there's definitely in the charity sector, we're all so convinced that we're nice mm. that it kind of creeps in. Whereas in the corporate sector, you're allowed to have an ego. So you do and you own it. Whereas I think in the charity sector, telling someone they have an ego sets their ego off more than anything else. But yeah, there's definitely a generation of fundraising leaders, consultants, experts who can't be taught anything and think they know everything and anything changing is a personal attack. Mm. Yeah, definitely. That's a question that's been on my mind for a while. And I was going to get in touch with um, Steve about it, civil society, you know, for the Asian provocateur thing. So I was thinking about it the other day. Oh, and yeah. I'd heard a story from an organization. Um, and I mean, even I was saying, I, I, I won't name names, but my memory's so terrible at the moment. I can't, can't even remember who it was. <laughs> so so the, it, is, it is safe with me. Um, and they were telling me about this uh, person that was working with the charity. And even though they knew that the campaign or the project or something that they were working on um, wasn't right for the organization anymore, they were constantly like pushing and like fighting for it to still be included because it looked good as part of like their work that they were doing and, and their portfolio. And that's, that's worrying because if you're a leader yeah. and you're trying to work with these people to get support on that, but how do they remove like that, that kind of personal um, um, conflict of interest and, and that bias from it? Like, so in addition to all of this, like overwhelm, like the places and people that you're going to for help have got their own egos and their own agendas. And then it's just making this kind of a whole, messy like muddled middle what is the way out of that yeah i mean if it was easy it would be done right True. i think there's so much around because it's not just even individual ego it's organizational ego as well like mm -hmm. uh making sure that we see other charities in our same space as a collaborator rather than as a competitor um and seeing our colleagues as collaborators rather than competitors I think there's a lot to be said for remembering why we're here. And in the same way that we engage a donor in why they should give to our charity, engaging ourselves in why we should work there and why we should work for the best of the cause rather than for the best of ourselves. Mm. And seeing that a contact is the charity's contact rather than our own contact and really kind of rooting ourselves back in the problem that we're here to solve mm. rather than pushing our own solution yeah it's probably the, the best way through and the problems that we you know have, have created in our sector we can solve them because we created them do you know mm. so, with that infrastructure piece with the decisions piece with the ways that we're working piece like we can control it and change it like if you say we have that time to pause and reflect and go right are we actually on the right path are we taking people with us um equitably you know are, are we hiring right are we treating yeah, people you know and and that that's definitely the, the next phase that that we have to go through and the sessions from the leadership conference what I really loved running through this and it's not the first time this is why I love the leadership conference and it's not you know we're saying oh fundraisers never have made this it's it's the speakers that bring this and that suggest the topic so I, I can definitely sense a vibe here um around slowing down around vulnerability about pausing, about authenticity. So we kicked it off uh, with the session from Nana Crawford, who was talking about her hobbies outside of work and mm. how that made her 
more creative because she had space to move and explore and have fun. And then she was able to bring that, you know, energy like back to to her team and and be able to, to pass that on. And then we had a panel discussion in room three with Sally Inslee and Fidelis Navas around vulnerable, vulnerable leadership is your superpower, which I actually sat in on. Um, and it was really, it was great to hear two obviously talented people talk about things for a long time that they didn't do well. And I was like, oh, that's actually like pretty cool because they, how they presented it was like, here's what we did and here's what we learned and here's what we want to, what we want to do different. Um, and then we had some kind of future looking sessions as well around like, how do we look after the future talent of of our teams like how do we create teams where people feel like they can be themselves and it's not just like oh yeah you can be yourself but now we're going to make you you know feel bad for it like it's genuinely like in- yeah. inclusive what um what session stood out for, for you because you, you sent us a lovely note afterwards as well which was just uh, yeah. so so nice so what prompted you to send that what's what stood out for you yeah sure i i think the the conference itself was such a breath of fresh air and as you say it's not the first one but that overwhelm piece is so prevalent because post-covid in cost of living people haven't caught their breath and there's like mm-hmm. oh there's another thing capital at another thing and it was really needed and as some of the sessions that you've already picked out like Nana Crawford's session, uh, I know at least one fundraising leader who has gone back to their favourite hobby of netball because of that session. And they have said to me that they are spending time away from their desk again in a way that they haven't been doing for months. Oh, well done that person. And thank you, Nana, for reminding people that that's important. That's brilliant. It's pretty awesome. I loved in room three, the the Duolingo session on social media, the... The thing that stood out to me from that was Duolingo started posting on social media to teach people about languages uh-huh. without evaluating why people were on social media. And then when they remembered that people are on social media to be social, uh-huh. they completely changed their tactics. And now they have, I think they use the phrase, a crusty owl mascot costume <laughs> that they put in various... It must smell uh, now. It's been oh, a I remember oh, Mr. Hardy from the BHF was pungent. So imagine, yeah. I mean, I imagine Duolingo have got the budget to have more than yeah, one. Yeah, true. But that <laughs> that really actually adapted how I'm showing up on social media because it's mm. not about what I want. It's about what my audience want. And like, I really poorly photoshopped my face onto a Pokemon trainer graphic the other day because I was like, that's more social and more interesting. Um, but in terms of, to answer your question of the, the I love that you were like moving on very quickly as quickly as we can um the reason I sent that note is largely I wanted to capture my learning because there's so much from it and there are so many training sessions and conferences that you go to you're like oh that sounds nice and then you just go back to your day-to-day and I wanted to make sure that for me personally there's so much value in that conference that I wanted to write down what that value was so I would keep it that's yeah like reflective and that's the point you have to pause and reflect mm. to help it consolidate so I love that you've done that and we we um we actually got another note um from an attendee who has actually brought her organization on now as organizational members and she said it felt like therapy she was like I actually nice. feel like I've been 
heard, you know, this is addressing how I feel, like what I'm going through. And that's really important for me that we platform that. I mean, we had a session on uh, demystifying unions. Um, we've had like sessions on um, you know, women of color in, in leadership, like the important topics that look at leaders as humans. Um, because ultimately, like that's what it comes down to, because the decisions that you make are, are driven based on your experience, like your thoughts, which have obviously been with you for a very long time, but then they're restricted within the sector that we've built for ourselves, which actually isn't probably set up for the most equitable way. So not only are you trying to make the right decisions, but you haven't like smashed through this mm-hmm. barrier of change first. And that in itself is exhausting, but it was really lovely to see people come in and, and learn and, and engage in, in, in those conversations. What change do you want to see in the sector when it comes to epic leadership? Oh, great question. I think, and it's a really tough challenge, but I think I want to see people think more long-term. I think the the chase of short term and in year income, while understandable because we need the in year income to keep our organisations going, mm. it's kind of the focus above all else. And when we think longer term, we create space to do the breathing out, right? Mm. And I think for me, looking at, for example, uh, there was a session. Uh, by Sarah, uh, who who did overwhelm first aid and your confidence matters when you take over the world. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like a how to get from the place where you have so much in your brain that you just don't even know where to begin mm. through to like, well, actually, what's going to turn the dial the most? And like, if we allowed our fundraisers and our fundraising leaders to think about what's going to turn the dial the most in three years rather than this week mm-hmm. i think that would be transformational and it would keep a lot of fundraisers in their roles to see that stuff through whereas because it's so in year focused we do take shortcuts and we do cash out and fundraisers are like well i've seen the project i was working on through because it was a one-year cycle so i'm gonna go mm. and yeah i think a, a push to long-termism is definitely what i'd be most interested to see and if the issue that we have at the moment is that leaders don't have the time to do that, like stopping and reflective work and to get off that wheel. Like they have no choice. So what can we do then to create that space so that they can have that breather without it feeling like an extra thing to, to do? Mm, great question. I think I've got two answers and they're linked, so I'm going to go for them both. Firstly, push back on unrealistic expectations as much as possibly, uh, as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't give them out. And don't give them out in particular. Yeah, great. Like, don't give them out in particular, because if your targets aren't realistic, fundraisers are so often people pleasers, and they don't want to say no. So they say yes, only in knowing that it's going to have to commit them to a no later down the line when they haven't met those unrealistic targets at the cost of themselves and their teams. So really pushing back on unrealistic expectations, embracing how long income streams take to set up, embracing how long relationships last, embracing that you can't do more with less over and over and over. And linked to that 
is more fundraisers taking on trustee positions because that's where those decisions about income targets, et cetera, ultimately are made. And so often decisions about income targets are being made with no fundraising experience in the room. Mm. And one way around that is to enter the rooms at the top. Smash that door down, kick it in, throw exactly. a chair. There's that, there's that great quote. Uh, I need. I should know who it's by. It's by an incredible feminist who says, uh, "If they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair." Yeah, I remember that. Do you want to quickly look for that so we can credit that before? I will absolutely do that. Yes. While you do that, I'm going to add my own. Obviously, I would say this because you know I'm the co-founder of Fundraising Everywhere, but it's the whole reason why we set it up. But I would be saying that we need to be investing both time and money in skills and training for people in teams. And that includes the leader because there will never be a point where you know everything and there will be something within that that can teach you how to be more effective. So even taking like 20 minutes out, if you then learn something that's going to make your work better, higher quality, faster, make you 1% more efficient, then that could be the difference of an extra thousand pounds or you know if they went to one of your webinars and they learned how to do a pitch that could be like millions um and we're seeing that especially with the cost of living crisis not for all teams but some teams where that's been like the first thing to go and it's counterproductive because without training and support like you you lose that insight you lose that confidence building you lose that network and not only does that impact the quality of your work itself but how people feel which then leads to burnout or staff turnover so there's massive holistic benefits to it and we have been working really hard since 2019 to make it as accessible as possible like it's online we've got tons of free stuff like there's this podcast there's the every week like there's no reason why you know professional development shouldn't be part of your daily weekly activity and that includes leaders as well yeah there's a great session on that in in the conference actually about investing in your team and how people stay where they feel invested in. Actually, one of the biggest problems facing fundraising leaders is recruitment right now, because people keep leaving and you can solve recruitment by retaining. Um, People will stay if they feel like they're earning or learning enough. And the learning one is easier to solve than the earning one sometimes. Yeah, I mean, how much you have to spend to recruit and then onboard someone. And then if they leave in six months, you've got to do it again. You might as well just spend 20 quid on a webinar, like on a webinar or something. We're a a small team and we still manage to give each of our members of staff like a thousand euro training budget every year because we're like, well, this is important. So, and we want you to boost your skills and, and we want you to feel good and we want you to feel like the work that you do is amazing. So we're like, go off and use that like where where you need so do you know if if we can do it and we're tiny um Mm. you know i'm I'm sure uh and then you know we are working with some amazing organizations that that do um but i'd love to see more people doing it um and as it happens as well so i mentioned um so we had a few of our members actually speaking uh, at the conference um and sarah jane pickering and lucy phillipson who were on the panel in room two about investing in your team they're actually from organizational members um and what we've done uh, recently is launched a leadership training program uh, in there which is on demand so it's looking at like the holistic leadership skills um and leaders can just like pop into that like whenever they want and whenever they need and they can watch you know a, a webinar around uh, having difficult conversations or making sure that you um job adverts are inclusive and engaging so kind of like the really key 
things. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's other networks and, and places where they can look into other stuff, which I know you're going to share in just a moment. But Sarah Tight, who you mentioned, she was also a speaker at this mm-hmm. conference. We formed a partnership with her. So all of our members, whether from organizations or individuals, can actually book a half an hour coaching call with either Sarah Tight or her cohort of uh, coaches. Um, and it's just ad hoc. So if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, like this is stressing me out. I just need to talk to someone. If you're a fundraising everywhere member, you just log on and, and book the call and then and then it's done. So uh, we've just launched that uh, and that's available for all of our members. And if you're not a member yet, uh, you can go to fundraisingeverywhere.com forward slash join dash us. I had to pause because I wasn't sure. I'm sure, I'm sure that's what it is. Someone will edit that uh, if it was incorrect because we do genuinely believe that... Um, like that skills and support is is what's you know going to change the sector because it's all about like sharing ideas and and making making people feel amazing and it's lovely that we're not the only ones doing this like you have your own mm. thing in a week or so tell me more about that I do yeah so I similarly run a leadership community uh, called Fuel uh, and the idea is that Fuel is what good fundraising leadership looks like you get to surround yourself with other people going through what you're going through mm-hmm. people that get it that are having those expectation management conversations at the same time as you are that have read the research reports that are coming out uh, and they get uh, two calls with experts live a month and one member-led session a month looking at anything from what you measure that isn't money to how you manage a trustee session and the thing that's really nice about that is it's everyone sharing their own experience and even with the experts it's facilitated but rather than it being you should do this Mm -hmm. it's guided what has worked for you what hasn't worked for you I tried this I tried that what worked and it's been a really nice opportunity to bring people together uh, we actually have a, a free trial of that on October 11th, I think it is, mm-hmm. uh, from, from 10 till 2, looking at demystifying finance uh, and non-financial metrics. Uh, I know a lot of fundraisers hear about finance and just break into a cold sweat. <laughs> Spreadsheets make me sweat, I'm not going to lie. Uh, and we have a, a session looking at like how do you bring financial confidence to yourself how do you speak to other fundraisers who can help you with that? Uh, and then you can try the membership from there. Um, and you can find out about that. At, and this is where I need to know my link. I'm going to say firesidefundraising.com slash fuel. Uh, yeah, is that? Oh, I knew it off the top of my head. That's what a good simple, the simple slugs, man. You just, you just got to keep it, keep it as it is. And that's what I love as well. Like this, that's completely... You know, it's still supporting leaders with the stuff that they need, but it, that's a different kind of like format and medium. So if you mm. are kind of more like, oh, I want to kind of come into this and uh, have conversations and, and be there, then that's there. But there is loads of other stuff, including ours and other organizations where there's like on demand or there's roundtables. Like there's so much stuff out there. Um, yeah, so there absolutely. is really like no reason um, why why uh, people can't access it um, to, to boost it. So if you are a fundraising leader or you are planning on becoming a fundraising leader, um, I would say just take a moment after you've listened to this podcast and have a little look around for some training uh, that feels right for you and just book in like half an hour weekly to start off with and just see how it transforms how you feel, like how you approach your work, you know, how um, how you how you feel about your work and, and how that trickles down to your team. And I'm sure 
once you give that a go for a few weeks, you'd be like, I am sold on this. And then, and then that's it. We can, we can change, change the sector and, and change the world by, um, by influencing the the leaders to to know more and make better decisions. So it's really exciting where it's going. And honestly, like the people who were involved with the leadership conference and the people that attended, like it was just so meant to hear how they were talking about stuff and, and you know, how, how they wanted to work. And that obviously fills me with a lot of hope, a lot of work to do. Um, sure. Yeah. Someone listening to this being like, oh, I wish my leader was there. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll reach them eventually. Just send them this podcast subtly and be like, ah, oh, nice. Heard this yeah, and yeah. thought of you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Done. So for you, if any leaders are listening to this, what would your uh, final words of, of advice be from, from Andy King? I think breathe out. Yeah. Like breathe out. It's going to be okay. Take a bit of time for yourself breathe out beautiful i like that and that's much nicer than me singing metallica's fuel which <laughs> to do i might edit that as the outro tunes um Perfect. but no it's been lovely chatting with you andy it makes me feel very comforted and excited to know that you are involved with shaping the minds of leaders in the sector because oh, yeah, definitely one of the one of the good eggs um and i just appreciate everything that you're doing and for coming to chat with us and best of luck with everything that you've got same, same here can't wait to see what the future holds everything so much everywhere <laughs> as well Very everything, good. everything everywhere <laughs> nice. lovely to chat with you pet nice to see you cheers Vicky bye thank you so much for listening to the fundraising everywhere podcast if you're enjoying this podcast why not share it with a fundraising friend and if you would like to give us a little like or subscribe It really helps more fundraisers like you find us. Thank you so much. See you next time.